0: Hi guys, welcome back to the Earthy Delights podcast. This week we have a guest, João Esteves, who is Mr. Social Prescribing. Social prescribing seeks to help those in our community who do not need medication, but rather connection, exercise, and to feel part of something bigger. João spent several years helping the social prescribing movement off get off the ground in Ireland and in, now resides in his hometown in Portugal, where he's doing the same. Heja explains this approach to mental and physical health and provides numerous examples of how it changed people's lives. If you want to learn more, you can check out the link below for some more information. Enjoy the podcast, folks. Joao Steves, welcome to the Earthy Lights podcast. What's the crack?
1: Thank you very much. Uh, thanks for inviting me. It's a pleasure uh, being here with you. Uh, it's, I'm good at the moment, very, very good. Uh, I'm in Portugal, in Lisbon in a small village close to the to the to Lisbon city center uh and the weather is really really nice really warm uh i know we cannot enjoy the sunshine and the uh, and the beach as we used to here in in Qashqai because of the the covid pandemic crisis but uh but it's a it's a beautiful day here <laughs> what about you beautiful.
0: <laughs> Uh, I can't... The weather... Well, I was going to say I can't complain. I actually, I'm going to complain that it's too hot. But that's just a personal thing. In Madrid, it's like 35 degrees. And on Sunday, it's going to be 42 degrees. Um, oh, that's too much. And there's... Yeah, and there's no seaside fresh air that you two have got both in Dublin and in uh, Lisbon. So uh, I'm suffering over here. Uh, <laughs> but apart from that, all good, all groovy. Um, Joel, we, I think this probably maybe the hardest question we always ask is right at the very start of the podcast. But um, for listeners who maybe haven't heard of you or haven't come across your work, uh, can you just like describe to us like a bit about your background and what it is that you do?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, my background is uh, in in psychology, in applied psychology. So I'm I'm a chartered clinical psychologist, um, and uh, in the last fifteen years, or since I finished my master's degree, I've been working uh, mainly in in social intervention projects uh, around Lisbon city center, mainly in the private uh, areas, um, and. Uh, I'm very interested in, in, in social inclusion issues, um, trying to tackle them, trying to develop projects related with um, employability supports, um, education, training, um, try try to bring people together, creating partnerships and networks so that uh, our interventions in this kind of context uh, could be more consistent and effective. Um, I've also done... Uh, work as a practitioner uh, in, in private practices, uh, like a psychotherapist, and uh, currently I'm working as a sports psychologist as well. Because uh, I've been working fourteen years in Port, uh, sorry, thirteen years in Portugal. I've been two years and a half uh, working abroad, uh, five months in London, two years in 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 Ireland in Dublin, and in two thousand nineteen. I become a dad um, so I have a a little girl named Rita um, but she was born in Portugal just before COVID got in and since then I started to work again as a as a sports psychologist so working with athletes to help them improve their performances uh, in in different sports Um, and I'm also doing some consultancy work to to help People in in Qashqai's that work in the private areas to uh, develop some social intervention projects um, in, in an effective way. So I'm I'm also working as a consultant at the moment.
0: Oh, lovely stuff! And congratulations on your daughter. No, thank you. Uh, so much. <laughs> um, the the title of the podcast is social prescribing, and um, there might maybe some of our listeners. Um, who aren't aware of what that term actually means? i was just wondering before we kind of get into into the weeds of it all, could you just give us kind of a definition of what that what that term means?
1: Yeah, so, so social prescribing is um, it seems to be a new concept, but in actually, it is not a new concept. It's something that is uh, used, and that it was. I think I, I, I'm not making uh, a big mistake if I if I. I uh, told you that social prescribing in the UK exists for maybe 15 years. So it's something that is relatively new in countries like uh, the, the Republic of Ireland, Portugal, uh, but there are a lot of uh, English-speaking countries that actually use social prescribing as a complementary service to um, to what the medical services provide to people. Uh, just in, in simple words... When you go to a doctor and i can give you a formal definition but maybe we can start like this when you when we go to to see our gp um we usually go there and expect uh to get a tablet or a medication for our condition or for 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 the reason that brought us to to see the gp but sometimes and it's 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 not just sometimes very frequently there are people that actually go Uh, to their GPs um, once or twice a week, or maybe more in some cases, and they don't really need the GP's help in terms of their medical condition, because they may have, let's say, a long-term condition that is already controlled by medication, like a diabetes type 2 patient who gets um, his medical treatment regularly, but still he insists he or she insists and go there and talk with the gp about stuff like feeling slightly depressed or uh, inactive or lonely or even socialized socially isolated Um, these may be some of the reasons why people uh, look for attention from gps Uh, and most of the time gps don't have any answers in terms of there are no tablets that fix uh, loneliness or social isolation. At least at the moment, anyone I th- I don't think there is any tablet for that to fix that kind of issues, or even an unemployment, or even a housing issue. So there are a few uh, reasons, or or we call it social determinants of health. So it's social reasons that interfere with our health and well-being. That sometimes GPs. Um, can't offer any kind of answer in terms of medication so people keep going to the gp in searching for an answer that they cannot give them so there's so there that's when social prescribing uh, gets in so it's it's um, a way of uh, enabling gps to to uh, refer people to a link worker uh, this is the name that you give to someone makes a connection between the health sector and the community sector Um, and this person will have time to listen to what are the main concerns of the person at that particular time of their lives Uh, the link worker will also have interest and should be able to listen actively to what actually concerns that person and after this conversation this first conversation um, the link worker' main role is to help people understand or find out that there are some resources in the community. Uh, some some of them are offered by community centers. Some of them are offered for by uh, sports centers. Some are are offered by senior citizens' club, uh, gardening, uh, education or training facilities. It depends. You have you could have a lot of reasons that may be concerning people's lives and this of course will have impact in their in their well-being that the the link worker can help them to first of all let them know that these amount of services exist these amount of options are available and then we will help people to connect with these services if they want to it's not something that we are obliged to do we don't pressure people to not listen if you're feeling inactive you should do two times a week like moderate physical activity or intense physical activity because that will help you to increase your uh, uh physical activity levels you will become more uh happier we don't do that kind of stuff we can help people to understand how important it could be but at the same time I think the main role is to listen to people and let them know that there are actually options that they can take avail of, or even they can they can they can even just get the knowledge about it, aware um, get more awareness uh, to people or educate them about what's going on in the community, and then they can on their own explore those options, or they can get our when I when I when I say our it's the link workers support to get to those supports, to to meet with people who are actually uh, developing some initiatives like Tai Chi classes or community gardening or uh, play the piano or painting classes or literacy skills. And because sometimes people, even though people could be motivated to engage in stuff like this, they may, may be afraid to try the first time and go on their own. And a link worker can can also make the connection, like a physical connection with the service and help people go there and support in this kind of way. So social prescribing in general is a way of linking the health sector with the community and volunteer sector through a link worker. And this is a a job that not only helps people uh, and the patients improve their health and well-being, but it's also a, a way of uh, increasing the awareness of doctors, GPs, nurses about what's going on in the community because they are so busy that sometimes they don't have uh, they don't have time to to know what's what's going on uh, around the, the place uh, where they are working uh and at the same time we are also helping the community services uh, and the community sector to get more participants in their own activities so it's it's a uh, it's a model of of intervention that uh, it's an I could say it's an innovative way of health and well being promotion uh, and it's a, like I said in the beginning a service that is um, a support to a GP uh, because it, it it can help them to uh, approach or to 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 look at some of the some of the reasons uh, that are interfering with with a person's well being uh in a way that they don't have time to do it so it's it's something i don't know if 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 it's clear or if 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 you understood the explanation was it simple was it too complex no
2: no <laughs> oh, i really appreciate that well. um i hope i'm pretty sure our listeners will as well i <clears throat> i when i first heard social prescribing i thought this is fantastic because this is a move towards the idea that we yeah. need a holistic health approach. Like, like you said, there are no tablets that are gonna fix social isolation. There are not, and there are many tablets that aren't so effective exactly. in fighting yes. some of the issues that we're dealing with as a society. Um, and I just thought this is fantastic. This this link worker seems so important in identifying a person's needs. Like you said, the GP is very busy and the GP is, is, is driven to give very often Medic like medicines as as as
1: a way Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm.
2: treat physical symptoms, but this link worker seems like such a crucial role, and it's lacking. To I know you say it's growing in Ireland, but uh, when I heard about social prescribing, I thought, "Oh my god, how is this not? Mm -hmm. How is this not everywhere? Like, how is this? Like, what? uh, Mm -hmm. I guess." And so my mind, (laughs) I got really excited when I heard about it, and I guess I wanted to. The one question I wanted to ask, just straight away, was: Were you surprised to find out about the benefit, like just how big the benefits can be to social prescribing, and just how many conditions, or ailments, or yeah, problems that people have? How were you surprised with the 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 amount that social prescribing can touch many of definitely, these definitely, yeah,
1: these yeah, because uh, even even as a clinical psychologist. Uh, and this is this is actually uh, it was interesting because when I moved to Dublin, and I can tell you a little bit about my story in terms of how how did social prescribing uh, crossed my path in term, my career path. so I'm, I'm I moved to before I moved to Dublin, I stayed four or five months in uh, I moved to 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 London and stayed there for four or five months and i I was very lucky' because I found a partnership uh, it's called Lambeth Wellbeing Portuguese Partnership. so it's it's a group of people that work in 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 a borough called Lambeth that has a lot of uh, Portuguese migrants living there. and I thought, well, my wife was working in UCL in the University College of London at the time. And I I wasn't working so I thought why not learning a little bit more about what's going on in 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 Lambeth and uh, with the community living here and maybe I could volunteer and help in some way because I'm Portuguese Uh, I have some experience working in in social intervention projects who knows if I could be helpful and then I came across with this partnership and uh, once I started to learn about the work that they do um, I realized that social prescribing was already embedded in the way the the GP uh, the GPs were working, the some of the community centres were working. So it was a, s- a central concept in the way that this partnership was working, because it, it mainly this this is about connections, bringing people together, bringing services uh, uh, together, bringing the health sector and the community sector that usually are not so close as they should be and social prescribing uh, brings that glue that kind of glue between between these these two main areas and uh, I realized that basically like you said uh, how does uh, why does not why this this doesn't happen everywhere like this should be happening everywhere because it makes total sense uh it doesn't doesn't make sense that this is not happening in Portugal and in other places so after five months mu- uh, five months uh, we decided to move to Ireland to Dublin and when i started to work to look for job opportunities the first one that came up was actually uh, for a social prescribing coordinator uh and in um it was a still a pilot project at the time and i thought OK, because this this actually matches my skill set and uh, the things that I've been learning in London. So it might be a, a good job opportunity to apply for. And that's what I did. So I, I apply for it. And I was just a mix, a mixture between luck and, uh, and, and the fact that my experience, um, professional experience matched what they were looking for. And then I had the chance to to coordinate and and uh, and make make projects uh, happen from scratch. Like no, that that's that particular social prescribing project that is called Get Well Connected. We we thought that we could give give it a name um, to to because social prescribing is not a, a, an easy concept to understand unless you we have this kind of conversations so that's why we thought okay if we change the name for something that make people think about the, the importance of connections to promote health and well-being maybe people can understand a little bit more what's or a little bit better what social prescribing means um and then we 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 actually i actually had that that Chance and it was a great and a brilliant uh, experience, uh, professional experience. Because I, I didn't know anything about Dublin. I didn't know anything. I mean, I would. I have been there before on holidays, but I basically landed in Dublin, and one week later, I was starting to work in a new organization and starting to work in a new project that the organization didn't have at the time and uh, it was it was a huge challenge but it was really really interesting because i was advocating for social prescribing with a lot of different stakeholders in um uh, the health sector and the community and volunteer sector and um trying to educate gps about the concept and telling them how important it could be and how uh, this could also help them to ease the pressure on their work because they have a lot of like the frequent they call it it's there's there's a like a, a way of uh, calling the, the the patients that usually go a lot of times to GPs they are the frequent attenders so the 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 frequent attenders are usually consume they consume usually about 20 to 30% of gp's time uh in in consultations so once we start to work with the social prescribing service, we oh. expect that the frequent attenders start to reduce the number of appointments with a GP because they realize that there are actually other options within their communities that they can take avail of and that are actually tailored to some of their needs And um, and this brings more gives more space or more time to GPs to look and pay more attention to other patients that actually have medical conditions to be treated. So just to, to answer to your question, yes, I was very surprised about the the amount of benefits that a, a service like this can bring not only to healthcare professionals, to community services, but mainly to people. It's, it's amazing how we can promote health and well-being just by making connections between th- stuff that is going on in the community. So people, sometimes it's just next door and people don't, just don't know that it's there. And 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 the link worker is a facilitator in this sense because the link worker has to, to be updated about all the services that are going on and all the, inici- the initiatives. And this is a huge challenge because when you work in the community sector, there are a lot of activities, a lot of services uh, that change, like every trimester or every two in every two months or every three months or every four months, they change activities. So you have to to know what's going on so you can signpost or you can refer people accordingly to what's going on because otherwise you will be telling people that, oh, listen, uh, there's a a stroke support group um, going on in Tala community center. and running on thursday mornings but if if this stroke group ends and you don't know that it ended you're basically giving a wrong information to a person so you, you don't want to do that so you need to be uh always updated uh, about what's going on and that's that's a lot of work as well but uh but it's amazing the mm. the potential of a social prescribing service uh mm-hmm. mainly in primary care centers in 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 hospitals as well in some some hospital departments um and once i got the chance to to tell people what what is social prescribing how it can benefit their service i started to get a lot of phone calls from people who actually knew that i was promoting that service and they wanted to know how they could connect with the social prescribing service uh how could they refer people to the social prescribing service but because it was a pilot project, we couldn't, and it was only me doing it uh, yeah. in, in that organization, uh, I couldn't uh, accept referrals from other places than the two uh, healthcare centers that we were working with. And, uh, but I can tell you a little bit more about it for, f- because, because it was a pilot and we needed to evaluate the, the effectiveness of the project in two specific areas in the Lim South. But the interest is growing and growing and growing, and now there are a lot of... I know I'm still uh, following up some of the projects in in, uh, in Ireland, uh, even I, though I've moved to Portugal, and I know it's like mushrooms. There are a lot of social prescribing projects growing in different parts of the country, which is great. Uh, so, yeah, it's something that is growing in the Republic of Ireland, and I'm glad that... Uh, I did just even a, a little bit to to make it grow, so I'm very proud of it.
0: <laughs> and Joao, yeah, is there was there a particular demographic that you saw that um, was in particular need of social prescribing, or that benefited particularly yeah. from social prescribing? Be that an age range, or yeah. maybe a sex? Was there a demographic that benefited most? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or needed it most?
1: Yeah. So it's it's actually a good point, a good question because. Uh, There is definitely a a cohort of patients that benefit with social prescribing, but it depends on the location where the service is. That's why I was telling you that I was working with two healthcare centers. One was located in a very deprived area, and the other one was located in a more affluent area. So the issues and the reasons for referral were very different from one healthcare center to the other even though they were separated by maybe 5 miles or something so they were very close but the 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 context where they were uh based or the involvement was of those primary care centers was very different so i would say that in the more uh, affluent area uh i would say that older people uh people over not saying that people with 55 years old are old but there are a lot of uh, activities and a lot of services and initiatives for people over 55 years old, and and this is actually something that a link worker also realizes. It's the sometimes there are gaps in terms of the uh, the, the the options available for some uh, cohorts of of people, and uh, there are some some age groups that are not uh, that don't have as much options as other options uh, for people over 55 years old uh so we had like i could tell you that in this uh in this uh, clinic where i was working in in this affluent area older people were i think they they took more avail of the project because they were very they're most of them were feeling very lonely or socially isolated or looking for places where they could do some physical activity or some specific activities related with long-term conditions uh, but mainly, people are looking for were at the time looking for uh, getting more socialization, get, getting to know other people, um, spending more time with other people and less time on their own in their houses, uh, like cleaning or or dealing with their garden. Um, they were they were looking for uh, to know other people that usually they 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 only made a nod when they they cross with each other on the streets and after we uh, i can give you an example of something that i think we created and had a lot of impact Uh, and this was a a walking group we developed a walking group in a in a surgery so there's a practice walk in this particular surgery in this more affluent area because the gps bought the idea of social prescribing really really well and they were their their mindset in terms of the this kind of holistic approach like jim said um was already there so it was easier to make the social prescribing service work and even the the referrals were more uh, uh were more um what is the word that i'm looking for they they, they worked the 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 referrals were more sharp uh than 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 in the in in the other in the in the other primary care center because they actually realized and they they really knew really really well their their patients and they realized their needs their social needs so once they referred the patient uh, most of the times they 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 nailed it they were social prescribing ready This is another thing that I can tell you about not, not everyone is ready for social prescription, but we can talk about this further further on. But just to let you know, these, the healthcare professionals were very, very interested in the concept and making it work. So, uh, we had a, we had a day and there's still a day to celebrate Social Prescribing International Day. I think it's 14th of March. And to celebrate this day, I challenged them in the surgery, like the staff in the reception, the GPs, the practice nurse, uh, the practice manager to organize a walking group. And of course, we wanted the patients to come as well. Uh, and, um, and this walking group was to happen just once per month uh, during the, the GP's lunchtime, because they are so busy that the only time they had available to, to join this walking group was during lunchtime. And they accepted the challenge. And we had the first time we, we went for the walk, we only had three uh, patients. Uh, and those patients were the the ones that we were not expecting to get because uh, they they were already very motivated we wanted the other patients that actually needed to to increase their physical activity levels so we got the first ones we got this walking group were people who actually were used to run and do marathons so we thought okay this is a good thing to start but This is not our target, but let's go. So we went for the walk. It went really, really well. The next month we got, instead of three patients, we got five because they started to talk about the walk. People started to see GPs on the streets walking with a group of people and they didn't realize what was going, they didn't understand why the doctors were walking with a group of people during lunchtime. And then people started to talk about it. And after five or six months, every first first Friday of the month, we joined, and after five or six months, we had a group of 18 people joining the walking group, including the doctors and practice nurses, and we realized that this was not just the physical activity part of it, it was the social component of it, because people walked, uh, people talked, people felt Happy uh, and 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 they they found um, a, a a place and a time and a moment to leave their houses just for half an hour and it was it was not a a long walk it was not a brisk walk it was a walk that was welcome we welcomed everyone so and the fact that the GPS were there was even better because people felt safe just in case you could like fell or sometimes people like the older patients were afraid of engaging in walking groups because they didn't feel confident enough because sometimes they walk too fast or if they trip and fell, they won't have anyone to support them. So the fact that they have the GPs on board, the fact they have people, we had people with crutches, we had people with um, with strollers um, and I'm not joking, I have photos, if you like, I can send you, it's like the, the impact of a walk, a practice walk on a clinic, oh, it, it was amazing, it was huge, because other kind of connections started to happen, just because we we uh, set set up this, this, this walking group, uh, and people start to talk with each other, and then they realize, okay, but you're you're attending this women's group and they knit in this women's group. Yeah, I like to knit, so maybe I'll join. And they started to, like some social prescriptions happened during the walking group as well. Uh, It was not just on one-to-one sessions. Um, Just to give you a a quick example Mm -hmm. of how a simple activity could bring people together. And, um, And it helped a lot of people who were, and this was before COVID. So we had a lot of people who were actually isolated at home. Uh, I remember one, one this man who had, I was, I think he was 57 years old. And he basically was living on his own, uh, spent most of his time in front of the computer. Um, he didn't like to... to to be with other people he didn't felt that he had conversation to to have with other people and we challenged him to to attend this walking group it was just once per month in the beginning and he he made it he was the first person to to arrive the last person to leave and it was the first step to help him get out of the house two to three days a week and to change his routine just with the walking group uh, this is just a, a small example. We have I could t- tell you about men's shed. I don't know if you're familiar with this concept, but maybe this could also be a, just give you a suggestion for another podcast. Um, talk with someone that is related. Yeah, because so it, it's... I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but in I think it, sure. it was in 2018 or 2019. Uh, the Men's Shed Association in Ireland uh, won an award for... Um, the best practice in terms of uh, men's mental health uh, support in in in, Ar- in Ireland. So this, I don't know if you if you know the concept of uh, a man's health. Uh, sorry, a man's shed. Uh, give
0: give us the example for listeners who maybe don't know.
1: Okay, so a man's shed is a place, um, and if you Google I'm, it, you'll find yeah, a yeah. lot of pinpoints sure. on Google Maps in, in, all over the Republic of Ireland. It's a place where men can talk shoulder to shoulder, uh, while building stuff, doing manual stuff like uh, like working with wood or carpenter stuff, um, and uh, it's it's uh, almost like an occupational uh, time uh, where men can. Build something. Talk with each other. I think there's uh, a saying in Ireland that uh, says something like this: "Men don't talk face to face; they talk shoulder to is, shoulder." Is it right? Is this something like this? I, th- I think this is. Uh, I mean, I learned this in Ireland, so it's it, if it if it's not this sentence, it's very close or similar to it. So the men's shared concept is based on this. So I mean, I learned- usually, men are more. Uh, Closed, they they don't talk much as women about their their emotions and the men's shed were places that were created. This is I think this is a model that was uh, imported from the from Australia and um, it, it is actually uh, a huge success in the Republic of Ireland because it tackles uh, loneliness and social isolation. And people can just, it's its for free. You can join for free or even if you have to pay like five five euros uh, per week just for a cup of coffee or tea or biscuits. Um, and you can just go there. I, I know that ManShed work differently. They, they have different timetables and organizations according to the place where they they are based. But it's actually a place where you can um, develop some skills, learn how to work with wood if you don't know how to do it. Uh, you can learn with other people or you can uh, teach other people how to to work with wood and transform stuff and create new stuff. Um, and it's, it's a really, really interesting place uh, that I signpost and refer people to, um, usually men, uh, of course. And um, it's an, a, a, use, a very, very useful and a brilliant idea. A useful resource uh, that exists in the Republic of Ireland for men who are uh, over eighteen years old, feeling lonely and uh, and isolated. It's it's it could be an option. I'm not saying that every yeah. man should take avail of it, but it's an option that is also available in the community. And, I, and I ju- should, yeah, yeah, sorry.
0: Sorry, when you were talking there, you were talking about how some of the guests, guests, um, some of the patients who you refer to, uh, you know, the man with 57 sitting in front of his computer. And I think a lot of our listeners are younger than maybe 57, but they kind of have that similar behavior where it's not the computer, it's their their mobile. Mobile, And I think, um, you know, obviously with social media, we all think that we're more connected than ever but how many of those connections how much of that communication is actually quality communication yeah. and i was wondering did you think did you find in your in your work and in your research that younger people were maybe inadvertently or not knowing that they were suffering from social isolation and and loneliness because they have so many followers yeah. and they maybe they talk to their friends on whatsapp all the time but that's very different to, like you said you know, in a walking group or building a shed or whatever it is Mm -hmm. and actually being present with someone and actually having a real conversation with someone. And I find as well, Jim and I've been talking recently and I've kind of thrown myself into a lot of new things, jujitsu, new football groups, and we I have to meet new people. But a lot of my friends my age, they haven't taken up a new hobby in a long, long time. I mean, they're basically, I mean, I'm 25, but they have this idea of who they are and they don't, Go beyond that, so their circle of friends or or, or communication or connection yeah. is kind of all enclosed, and they're not willing to open that. And I was wondering if you've seen that in youngsters, and if you think that social prescribing is a way of kind of combating that and being able to open and having more connections.
1: Yeah, definitely, it's a, another very very good question. And definitely, I, I to be honest, most of the referrals that I got were from older people. Okay, from people over, I could say over. 35, 40 years old, but I, I remember two particular cases. One was 18 years old, 18 or 19 years old. Uh, this young man was suffering from severe anxiety um, and I think he had um, hyperactivity, yeah, hyperactivity. The, 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 uh, PDHD, P, I think this is the the correct uh, name of it in, in English. Um, and I'm not sure if he also had... Sorry, ADHD, sorry. Yeah, yeah, thank you. ADHD. And I also think he was on the... Um, on the... ADHD. Autism spectrum. So it, it was a blend of oh, different problem. conditions. And he was... But he was mainly a, a guy with a lot, a lot of anxiety. And there was, and this is interesting because social prescribing could also be helpful for this podcast because I could tell you a little bit more about some resources that I found in Ireland that could also be interesting for you guys and for your, (laughs) for the people that you know. And maybe another suggestion for another podcast. There, there, there was an, uh, an organization called Beacon of Light, Beacon of Light. Okay. Who developed a program, a very interesting program with young men called Breakthrough Program. Breakthrough Program, okay. Um, And this Breakthrough Program was a mixture between sports and um, psychotherapy and counseling sessions um, to help people who who were a little bit lost in in their career paths, in their personal paths. So they, they tried to bring together sports and a personal and social development component, and uh, at least during the period that I was living and working in Ireland, I realized that Beacon of Light um, organized two different programs: the breakthrough program with kickboxing as a, as the main sports and I think that the person who was involved in the, the in, in facilitating the sessions was one of the guys who was working with uh, Conor, Conor McGregor, uh, something Kavanaugh, so you, you you may know him. I, I can't remember the name. I'm sorry,
0: John Kavanaugh. Yeah,
1: yeah. And the other the other um, breakthrough program was um, was was with in worked in partnership with the FAI, with Fo- Football Association of Ireland. So it was one program was basically aimed for kickboxing and the other one was aimed for football or in that it was five aside, not uh, 11 aside, um, but through football and through kickboxing or mainly through sports, um, the breakthrough program uh, were able to bring young men together and talk about stuff that they usually don't talk with anyone and they also they always had like physical activity and sports involved uh, they had this big com- component but at the same time they had also group meetings and one to one sessions with particular counselors and this young man that i told you about benefited from this and um the fact that the, that he engaged in this activity and, and give it a shot helps him a lot by Realizing that he was not alone in his kind of anxiety condition. And that was something that other young men were, were also suffering from. And we were not talking about, again, we were not in COVID times yet. This was before COVID. There were a lot of people spending most of their times in their, it was not only in, in their houses, Was it was in their bedrooms. So they they almost didn't leave the bedroom to to eat. Some some of them were eating in inside of the bedroom, because um, they 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 felt that they didn't have anywhere to go or they didn't know what kind of resources were available for them. Even even education and training courses. There are a lot of, you know, there's an expression. I think I'm not wrong by saying it's the N E E T NEET, NEET neat young young men like neither in employment education or training there's a lot of offers in terms of education and training uh, available in the organization where i worked south dublin county partnership had a specific department working with um, for for education and training and they provided a lot of uh, um, alternatives for people that were in this age group like from 18 to 25 years old or to 30 years old. And, um, and this, this is a resource that is almost for free, almost always for free. Uh, and sometimes people are just not aware of it. Uh, so that there's a lot going on in the community and the social prescriber could let people know about these kind of options. That sometimes, even, even, the, even I remember the beacon of light, they were looking for participants for their activity. And they try to advertise it in a lot of places, a lot of GPs, um, a, a lot of healthcare centers, organizations. But once you have a person like a link worker, this guy or this girl or this woman or this man could help people know about these kind of useful resources that can change people's lives. And um, this this young man that I was telling you about um, gained a lot of confidence It helped him to make some connections after attending this 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 program um, he realized that he could try to make some some of his life projects work life plans work and uh, he actually moved to to the us just for a like a summer camp and started to uh get involved in sports because he was very into football and he he was like a personal coach for young kids and this was one of his dreams and then he spent some time in the U.S. in the summer camp then he came back and he enjoyed a lot the experience and then he was expecting to go back to the U.S. in the, the year after so it was really good because it was just a little thing that made the difference in his life and another guy that I remember in the same age group he was not my client if you want to call it like that he was not my patient but his mother was my patient. Was a, his mother was referred by the GP as a, a lady who was a little bit depressed. She was a frequent attender. Uh, she she had all the medicines uh, already prescribed. Uh, there was nothing to, more to do in terms of his uh, in terms of her medical condition, but she needed something else. So one of the things that I realized that could be helpful for this lady who was actually started to feel depressed and lonely uh, because she had a, uh, a son. I think his her son had twenty years old at the time, and he spent most of his time in the in his bedroom. Uh, and she was starting to feel really really depressed and worried about his future because he didn't move from 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 the bedroom. He didn't go outside or outdoors and she was starting to become very inactive as well so one of the things she enjoyed doing was cooking and there was actually just next to the practice to the to the to the primary care center where i was working there was a a community organization called women together tala network and uh, they were running a cooking classes workshop something like that and i mentioned it to her cuz she she was interested in cooking uh, making some desserts and i t- I told her why not uh, I can bring you there. I can introduce you to um to people who are actually delivering these kind of workshops and you just have a look just talk with them and then see if 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 you don't want to engage that's fine. we can look at other stuff and um and that was it she actually we went together she was there she went there she attended the workshop and after that she started to meet with other people. Some of them were neighbors, and she never talked with these neighbors that, are, that also attended the workshop, the, the, the cooking workshop. And after that, she felt a little bit more confident in uh, doing, in starting to uh, engage in more physical activity initiatives. Like one of her dreams were, was running a marathon, and she was a frequent walker. She She used to walk a lot around the neighborhood, but she didn't. She wasn't aware about the park runs. You probably heard about park runs, so she was not aware about park runs. And I mentioned park runs in in some of the parks close to the to her house, and she started to attend park runs, and she started to bring her son with him with her. So this was one way to bring her son uh, out of the house or outdoors. And after that, they become they started to do stuff together outside of the house and that brought them some confidence and some joy that they didn't have at home. Uh, and one of the things that she mentioned, I remember this one was one of, of our last conversations, was she felt a little bit more confidence in engaging in counseling sessions that she was looking for, but she was not motivated to do it. But now that she felt a little bit more confident, her son was a little bit more active she started counseling sessions, and they actually, both of them, mom and son, developed uh, started to fix some of the, some, some stuff that they had at the inside of the house, and they have been postponing uh, like fixing I, I can't remember what inside of the house, uh, and they spent years and years talking about fixing a specific part of their house, and then they started to fix that part of the house. So there were a lot of life changes uh just before just because uh, and all of this started with the, the social prescribing connection with the cooking uh, class and, and the cooking class mm-hmm. brought uh a, a young man from from the outdoor from from inside of the house to to the outdoors because her mom uh his mom got confidence and uh was was a little bit more uh, less depressed, I mean. Uh, and th- this was uh, like an indirect impact. I don't know if, you, if this makes sense, but I, I realized... Sorry, sorry.
2: Absolutely. T- t- thanks for... No, I love yeah. hearing these personal accounts, Joe. Uh, it it, it yeah. really does seem yeah. that we consistently underestimate the health impacts of social isolation and the health impacts of connection. Yeah. Uh, And and just, I'm sure you're aware of this, but I feel like I have to say it, where I was doing a bit of research recently about uh, social social isolation. And there was this big, massive piece of research to say that social isolation was a bigger indicator for early death than type 2 diabetes, smoking a pack of cigarettes every day, in some cases alcoholism. This is absolutely crazy uh, yeah. to me and I'm sure to many listeners going, wow, we, we don't, we don't, we don't prioritize this connection that we need to really live a healthy life. And uh, we're we're a bit tight on time, but I was just wondering, could you, mm-hmm. could you possibly tell us a bit about the, the bigger research? In terms of social prescribing, you mentioned yeah these, so like, it, personal That's anecdotes, one of the main accounts. things that there, I think, all, all
1: the countries who are actually developing social prescribing, really prescribing services right are looking for. The because there's the evidence of the benefits of social prescribing are um, are visible when you talk with people that actually benefit from the service. But it's very hard to measure it in terms of um, in terms of what we call the, the 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 well-being tools or or validated tools in terms of research uh, and this is one of the things that uh there are a lot of groups at the moment uh there's a national academy of link workers there's a lot of people uh, that are getting more specialized in this particular subject just to, to get a a sense of how what would be the best way to evaluate the impact of social prescri- prescribing in people's health and well-being. Just to give you an example, my, the project that I ran in, in South Dublin County Partnership uh, was evaluated in two different ways. So we had, uh, w- when I planned the project, I uh, identified three tools uh, that I used in at the baseline, so in the first appointment with the patient, and then I... I administered these three tools in a follow-up stage just to check if there was any differences between the starting stage and the follow-up stage. And these tools were one well-being tool, and this is a a validated tool uh, that is very well-known in in the psychology world. It's a short uh, Warwick well-being scale. And then there was another tool called MyCause. So it, it means my uh, measure yourself concerns and well-being and the third one was a tool that i conceived to just to realize if if people uh, increased their awareness about the social support the amount of social supports that were available around the place where they lived if they if they were aware of these supports would they uh, engage or would they try any of those and if before and after uh, uh, trying the social prescribing service, uh, if they felt that their the, the connectivity with with their own community has increased or not. So I use these three tools, but the problem is that the the Warwick Wellbeing Scale is something that is being used for by almost every social prescribing project. Or if it's not this tool, it's another one very similar. But the thing is, we need to create a, a, a structure, an evaluation framework. That is uh, common to most of the projects, so we can get m- the most e- scientific evidence possible based in the same criteria, in the same tools. Because if if I'm uh, setting up a new project, I need to evaluate the, the feasibility of the project, the acceptability of the concept. Uh, I, I'm not in in the same condition to evaluate uh, like the the if people reduce the number of appointments with a gp i'm not in, i'm not in the same conditions as a project that is running like 3 or 4 years ago that can get those kind of data do you know what i mean so it's it's difficult cuz when projects are in different stages you need to evaluate different stuff like i have a report an evaluation report an external evaluation from my pilot project uh and we what we decided was to make a qualitative evaluation with like interviews with with the GPs with patients with stakeholders with community services but we also have the quantitative report that uh, has to do with the improvements on the well-being scale or improvements in the in the other two tools that i mentioned um but it's very difficult to get like a a strong evidence, uh, scientific evidence. That's why I am trying. I am trying to remember the name of the um, the national uh, player that is trying to to develop this framework. But I'm pretty sure that AJC is involved. I know that um, Elemental Software and S Three Solutions and uh, just. I can give you a little bit uh, a little information about these two. So these are digital innovation tools that are conceived for um, managing a social prescribing project through digital innovation. So I used a digital software to um, to manage the project. So GPS used the software to refer to make referrals to me, and I used the the, pro, the, the software to make referrals to the community or to signpost uh, stuff to people. So these like HSC uh, Elemental Software, which is also m- maybe a good a good uh, a good um, uh, speaker to this kind of podcast. It might be interesting for you guys if you want to explore more social prescribing in a digital uh, platform uh, point of view. Um, they may be good guests. So these guys are working together, as, as well as a group of GPs and people who are already involved in social prescribing in Ireland. They are involved in in creating this framework to bring more evidence to this particular concept that has a lot of benefits um, to people's health and well-being. And in the UK, there's there's a lot of like you can you can bring together a lot of information about different projects, and you can find. You can get the same findings, you know, it's it's just a matter of trying to work on the same framework, use the same kind of tools, and uh, maybe we can make the evidence work in terms of scientific um, uh, research uh, yeah. papers. Yeah
0: thank you for that and thank you i mean obviously you really it's very it's a very new thing isn't it really compared to yeah. other researchers and other old older um frameworks but thank you for opening our eyes to to social prescribing giving us all these references that uh jim and i can uh take further and uh and maybe delve into social prescribing even more but just thank yeah. you for opening our eyes to it because i'm sure that a lot of our listeners have kind of never really thought of it and like you said always kind of look for a certain pill to uh help them with whatever ailment that may be and just giving them this option that maybe there's something else out there that doesn't need to be taken in the pill form yeah. that could help you exactly could maybe help them um, massively so re- thank you for that um we really appreciate your time as it's been it's been excellent
1: no worries it was a pleasure and uh sorry if i talked too much but not at all there's a lot to say about social prescribing and uh we could stay here all day talking about it so if If you want to explore a little bit more about it, just let me know and we can talk about it later. (laughs) Okay.
0: I'm sure we'll take you up on that option. Thank you very much, It was a pleasure,
1: big pleasure. Thank you again for inviting me. Thank you.
0: Hi, guys. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe and leave a five-star review if you haven't already. Every review helps us climb the podcast charts so that even more of you can listen to our amazing guests. We really appreciate the support. Remember to tune in next week, but until then, keep safe and have a good one. Thank you.